talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Yep! Surprise! Hello! Back in the CHML studios after six months and a couple of weeks. This is Ted Michaels filling in for Scott Thompson this afternoon on Hamilton Today. And that clip, by the way, is kind of a pro because I was, you know, retirement. I just got used to semi-retirement, working on some projects, uh, not really, you know, expending a lot of energy, put it that way, and then got the opportunity to be here today. And I thought, you know what? People have missed me for so long, (laughs) apparently, is what they said. Now, Now, I know already... Already, the respect that I have in this building, because we have what's called the show sheet, which is sent out by William Erskine, the uh, erstwhile producer of uh, the Hamilton Today program on CHML. So he just <laughs> he just sent out. It's a good thing I got a sense of humor. It's a good. Uh, he just sent out the show sheet. Hamilton Today with Ted Michaels? Question exclamation question exclamation. So he doesn't. He's still getting used to it. But anyway, it is a pleasure to be here this afternoon. Um, Retirement has been uh, different. I'll leave it at that. We'll get into that maybe later on in the program. But there are a lot of things going on today, and it's a little while for me to kind of get used to uh, what's coming up on the program and uh, how we're doing things. But uh, right off the top, I know that uh, one of the things that uh, we talk about on this program a lot is the Twitter poll question of the day on 900 CHML. Now, yesterday's was interesting. Do you plan to travel this summer? 42.6% said yes. 42.6% said no. And does the cottage count at 14.8%? So that was yesterday's poll. Today's poll, this is interesting. Should students be allowed to have cell phones in classrooms during teaching time? Yes, went to 25.9% of the vote, no, 74.1% of the vote. So there's still time to weigh in on that, uh, the poll question of the day at 900CHML.com. Now, coming up on the program today, it's kind of a hodgepodge of of different things that are going on. In a couple of minutes, we'll be talking with uh, the people from Keeping Six. It's a community-based organization that uh, has a focus on defending the rights, dignity, and humanity of those who use drugs. There is a very special, if you will, open mic uh, tonight that takes place uh, at Theater Aquarius. starts at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And it's it's going to be a powerful evening because it features writers with lived experiences of substance use, recovery, and or community outreach. And we will hear from uh, a representative of that organization coming up a little bit later on. Now, uh, just after 3.30 this afternoon, and the reason I'm doing this is because they are now um, ranked really high. Now, you know I'm a huge Chicago fan. You know that. But they have released a new single off their new album. Yesterday on Billboard, it is now up at the top, as in most added adult contemporary songs. It's called If This Is Goodbye. It's a little controversial because if you listen to the words, it's, are they saying goodbye? We'll hear from the man who sang the song and also had a chance to meet his own. You know, rock stars have idols, too. He met Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys because they're on tour with Brian Wilson, and he sang happy birthday to him yesterday. So we'll hear from Neil Donnell uh, coming up a little bit later on. Also, this hour, 
Inflation is a big deal, of course. You've heard the story on CHML News and the numbers yesterday. How can we cope for those who are planning for retirement? How about those that are are retired or people that are just trying to raise families? We'll have a guest, uh, Don Fox from IG Private Management, uh, coming up uh, later on this hour. Next hour, the Bulldogs are getting ready to play Shawinigan Memorial Cup in St. John, New Brunswick, and Scott Radley is there. He will call us. Uh, this is... Uh, People don't like to use the term must-wins in sport. This is a must-win. If the Bulldogs don't win this one, their chances of uh, getting into the next round are are almost uh, obliterated. So we'll hear from Scott and what to expect on that game coming up uh, after 4 o'clock. We announced it earlier today. There is a brand, a very exciting show coming up. I'm very excited that we're hosting the event. It is called The Long Road Back. It is a fundraiser for the Canadian Mental Health Association, Halton Branch. The Spoons will be performing at that show, as will other special guests. All the proceeds go to CMHA Halton. And the reason it's called The Long Road Back is because, let's face it, for the last two years, we have been battling everything with COVID and mental health problems and people getting filled with anxiety and worry and where does it end well we have decided to start to go down the long road back together and Gord Depp of the Spoons will be calling us uh, chatting to him just after 4.30 this afternoon and by the way tickets are available now at bpac.ca also from the entertainment uh, files uh, so to speak next hour the main theater inside First Ontario Concert Hall which was known as the Great Hall will soon bear the name of the late conductor Boris Brott, who called the Hamilton home, and the Brott Music Festival starts next week as well. It is uh, a very, obviously, emotional time for everybody when it comes to the, the Boris Brott Foundation and what happened and Boris tragically losing his life. And then after 5 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to be talking about something that is uh, clearly happening at Hamilton City Hall. Uh, it is getting really uncomfortable when you watch and you see what's going on with uh, one of the Hamilton councillors. What can be done? Is this a cry for help from uh, the councillor or from somebody else who is in the same situation? We have a founder and the managing partner of Williams HR Law and Consulting. They will be calling us uh, to talk about that uh, as well. Also, the RCMP uh, and the interference concerns um, are raising concerns in Ottawa. And I guess I was blissfully unaware that I wasn't aware until today when I came in that the convoy, those great people who, as you recall, how much havoc they caused in Ottawa, they're back. They're planning on coming back uh, for July the 1st uh, weekend um, for Canada Day to kind of let people know how they feel. We're going to talk about, uh, it's an interesting way to look at a very serious problem. Keeping Six is a community-based organization that uh, has a focus on defending the rights, dignity, and humanity of those who use drugs. Now, one of their branches is um, debuting tonight an open mic at Theater Aquarius, an evening of feature writers and lived experience of substance use, recovery, community outreach. Uh, sign up is at 4.30, so they still have time. Joining us for the next few minutes to talk about this is the arts coordinator with Keeping Six, Kelly Wolf. Kelly, thank you for joining us this afternoon. How are you? 
Thanks. I'm fine. Thank you very much for having us on. Well, I know that uh, your your uh, title. I mean, you're you're the organizer of the event, but you also do, among other things, you're a set, a costume designer, artist educator. Uh, probably make coffee if you have to, and do everything else that has to be done. Right. <laughs> That is true. Yes, 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 I do all of those other things as well. So let's talk a little bit about the Keeping Six Art Collective. As we say, it's a unique way to handle uh, and look at a topic that is very, very serious. Kind of fill us in on what this is all about and how you got started. Sure. So uh, the Keeping Six, um, the Keeping Six on its own is an advocacy group, and so I. Um, I was interested in that advocacy from the point of view as an artist. I, I would look around our city and I would see people that I, I wondered, what was my role in our city? How am I supposed to be of service to people in our city? And because I'm an artist, I figured, be an artist. And, um, and so I would go to the Keeping Six drop-in and we organized uh, an art drop-in and we have a quarterly publication, a quarterly zine that comes out. And um, one of the things that came out was that we really wanted to have art workshops. And so we started, um, we started, I mean, the pandemic kind of messed everything up, right? So we started by just doing outreach, you know, bringing art supplies out to people. But now what we have is an art drop-in that takes place every Wednesday from 3.30 to 5.30. And it's open to everybody and it's free. And we have artists from our community who come in and uh, teach a certain art skill. And it's um, because it's open to everybody with a priority given to people with lived experience of substance use, um, it means that people who come know that they're in a place where they will be treated fairly and kindly and, you know, equally. And that when we're in that space, we're all artists. That's, that's the thing I really wanted to stress was that, you know, like everybody, you know, who wants to be able to create to be a creative person doesn't always have the opportunity. And so this is a place where we could meet up. If you're housed, unhoused, use substance, don't use substance, you come. And in that place, we are all collectively working as artists. And it's really been a lovely thing to see, you know, relationships building and, and just, you know, a level of compassion that I see in people who are housed and, and, uh, and don't have that lived experience that, that they see in there. Like, it's just a, it's, it's building bridges, I think, is what we're doing. Kelly, you actually brought up an interesting point, and as somebody who has been a, a proponent of helping people with mental health and uh, health mm-hmm. and wellness, um, this is kind of a broad question, and I don't know if you can answer it uh, really specifically and succinctly, but it appears to me that COVID has just exacerbated everything when it comes to people's mental health. And I would suggest that if somebody said that they don't have any anxiety or mental health issues because of COVID, I would suggest with all due respect that they're lying. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I, I see it even like I see it in the people around me and, you know, like we, everybody finds different ways to deal with, you know, the challenge of what the pandemic brought to us. And, and, for me, like using this art as a as during the pandemic was one way of alleviating anxiety or boredom or you know whatever it was that you know and so it was definitely people. We we also do a drop in um, at the Wesley Day Center and currently it's three days a week 
And that I would notice, like, people coming in specifically to the center on the days that they knew that the art program was running because they knew that they could make art, they could talk to somebody who just wanted to talk to them about what was going on in their day. And, you know, not, not from a clinical point of view, but as a, you know, just another human who was interested in, in their life or their stories or talking about art or whatever happened that day. So, so yeah, to me, it's like a real, uh, in terms of mental health, like the using, you know, creative outlets as a way to, you know, connect people, it's really important. Kelly, just before we wrap up, as we mentioned, uh, sign-up is at 4.30 this afternoon. The event starts at 5. Have you had any reaction from people who say, I really have to be there because I really want to tell the story? Or is this kind of, okay, let's see what happens with uh, maybe people who wait till the last moment to decide that they want to sign up? It's a a bit of both. I wanted to make sure we had a show for sure. So I I I do have a few people who have said to me that they're interested in being here and we've got a, uh, but we that de- we always left spaces for on in the moment. If you're like, I really got to tell this story. I'm going to go down to Theater Aquarius and I'm going to tell people this story. There's room for that. So um, so yeah. So I would encourage anybody who who's just hearing this now that thinks, so this sounds like it might be interesting. And we're going to do more of these. So maybe you're not feeling up to it today to actually get up there and tell a story or read a poem or whatever. But but maybe in future, like, we're, I think we're thinking our next one might be in November, uh, that we'll do another one. And so just to kind of keep following Keeping Six on Instagram, and uh, there'll be more opportunities for these kinds of open mic oppor- uh, options to do that. And very quickly, if somebody just wanted to go and just hear these stories and maybe get motivated or see how they can help, uh, can people come and watch this? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, please come and watch it. And it's... it's um, it's pay what you can, buy donation, free, whatever you want to say. Just come on in. Mostly we want people to hear the stories. And, uh, and there'll be other organizations here like um, the, the Student Overdose Protection, uh, Prevention uh, Group. There'll be the AIDS Network, uh, CMHA, and the Hub. Uh, they're all going to have a table here with their information. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, there'll be people here for that, too. All right, Kelly Wolf uh, with Keeping Six. Uh, congratulations on this idea. Again, the sign-up is at 4.30. The event starts at 5 at Theatre Aquarius in downtown Hamilton. Congratulations. Best of luck, and thanks for joining us. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. If This Is Goodbye is the name of the latest single on Chicago's newest album uh, that is going to be released on July 15th. And the man involved in that song, and I got a question off the top for him, is a Toronto native, well, not Toronto native, he lives in Toronto now, but he's with Chicago. Neil Donnell joins us from the road uh, in Dallas, Texas. Neil, first of all, thanks for joining us. Good to talk to you again, and I hope you're safe. Thank you, Ted. Great to hear from you as well. Yeah, everything is great. Yeah, yeah. All good. So let's talk about this song, If This Is Goodbye, because i got to admit, the first time I heard it and I saw the lyrics, and then other people also kind of, you know, it's such a great song, but it's talking about saying goodbye and the memories we had in high school and all that stuff. It almost sounds, Neil, like there was a hidden message there in that song, but that's not the case, is it? It is not. Uh, there has been, you know, some pretty wide speculation about that, yep. but uh, that's not actually the story. I mean, you can sort of... Uh, interpret it in a lot of different ways, but um, the song was co-written by the uh, the, the uh, record's producer, Joe Thomas, and uh, I believe there are three other writers involved, 
And um, I, I think it's really just about uh, mending fences, uh, you know, just just with with all kinds of relationships. Um, but yeah, I guess you know, given the history of the band, uh, it, it's sort of natural that people would read some kind of subtext into it. But as as Jimmy Panko says every night, the band has no intention of saying goodbye anytime soon. Excellent. Now we should mention that that song is uh, first week on the chart. You put it on Facebook yesterday. It's Billboard charting this week. AC uh, number one. How cool is that? Or should I even ask that question? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, we're uh, we're we're all very excited about it. Uh, it. It once again this week it was the most added uh, adult contemporary song at radio here in the United States, and it's uh, yeah, it's getting a great response. It's it's uh, we're playing it live. We've been playing it live every night uh, for about two months, and the audiences are responding very very well to it, which is uh, you know not always easy when it's a they come to hear the greatest hits, and, and you, you inject something that they're they're not expecting to hear. But it's all going very well, so and we're I, very pleased. And I guess from your standpoint, Neil, not there's and we don't mean any res- disrespect to any of the songs that you play in concert, but playing something new and fresh uh, has to invigorate you even a little bit on stage, as opposed to you know the same songs and the same uh, type of order night in after night out. Absolutely, you know anything new. Uh, that we or that something that we haven't done in a while always sort of re-energizes us. And there's there's talk about potentially doing two other cuts from the album somewhere down the line as well in uh, during our shows. So Neil, let's uh, talk about now. You're on tour Chicago this summer with the legendary uh, Brian Wilson and, and his group, and it was kind of um, I guess prophetic last week. Uh, watching on PBS, they had a special about Brian Wilson, uh, and it was it was enthralling to watch. It was fascinating to watch, but it was also kind of difficult because of what Brian has gone through in his life. You actually had a chance face-to-face to actually talk to him and wish him a happy birthday. How cool was that for you to meet one of your idols? Yeah, it's it's really surreal. Amazing. Even you know, every night to see him uh, across the hall from my dressing room sitting there before before they do their set. I mean, talk about a musical icon you know a genius um it's just it's just a thrill just to be in his presence anywhere and uh, him and all the guys in his band there's actually 12 of them on stage wow when they do their shows and they sound fantastic and brian closes out the the show with uh, love and mercy which is the the title track from the the biopic that starred john cusack that came out a bunch of years ago mm-hmm. and that's a very uh you know that's a a goosebump kind of uh, moment for all of us and uh hearing god only knows performed live and uh yeah it's just a thrill to be in the room with him you know and he's uh um, it's almost like being you know being in a room with one of the beatles really is that that kind of stature and I know you had a chance uh, the other day, he just turned 80, well, not just, he turned 80 uh, years of age, and you had a chance to sing Happy Birthday to him. Talk about that surreal moment. Yeah, the uh, the band got a cake, and we all gathered around. Um, I, no, I can't even remember where we were. Uh, I think it was some, I think it was Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. backstage before the show. We brought out a cake, and all the guys in Chicago gathered around him and uh, sang happy birthday to him. And yeah, that was, that was magical. 
Uh, just before we wrap up, Neil, uh, we talk about you being um, on tour with Chicago. You actually posted, and being a runner and a guy that tries to stay in shape, I was fascinated by what you posted on Facebook. You played at the Red Rocks Theater uh, in Colorado, which is literally built into the mountains, I guess. You're way up above sea level, and people don't understand sometimes how tough it is to do anything above sea level. How difficult was it to perform that night, those songs, knowing that your breathing can be, um, well, uh, a bit of a challenge? Well, you have to be a little more present and a little more focused and, and understand that breath management is, is pretty important. You know, me and the horn guys as well, and anybody singing, because we were at 6,200 feet above sea level. Oh. So Denver is right at the 10th the step of the legislature in Denver is at 52 uh, 50 or 5240, one mile above sea level. Wow. And we went up from there. We went up there about another, uh, another thousand feet. And it was also very warm outside. But, you know, when you're in front of a sold out crowd, about 9,000 people there, uh, that, that, uh, venue holds, uh, you know, it's just, you're just in the presence of this, this wonderful, you know, God built nature, surrounded by these red rocks it's it's a historic venue built in 1941 and just the energy um and the vibe just propels you and it was just it was a great night for everybody we just had a blast you know this i mean i i understand now you talk about breathing and it's all from your core and i know you do yoga and everything else this is why neil i can never be a singer because i don't have any core muscles so so you have me beat on that one (laughs) yeah you gotta you got to keep after the machine. You got to you got to keep it in, you got to keep it tuned up, you know, in order for it to work properly. So uh, the album, as we say, July fifteenth. The single is uh, "If This Is Goodbye." Neil Donnell from Chicago. Last question for you. I know you guys uh, don't think that far in advance. Will we see you in Canada sometime next year? I would say uh, there's about a ninety-nine point nine percent chance of that. There was talk at one time we were going to do a fall tour yep. this year, but that didn't work out. But I have been hearing rumors that we'll be doing some Canadian dates in 2023. So very much looking forward to that, as is everybody else in the group. We'll finally get a chance to have a face-to-face and say hello. Neil, stay healthy. Thanks for this. And uh, and uh, have a safe tour. We'll talk to you at some point. Thanks, Dad. Have a great summer. You too. Neil Donnell from Chicago. The album, uh, as we say, is the latest one. And the single is really catchy. It's uh, If This Is Goodbye. As we say, it uh, is now number one on Billboard in the United States of America. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Joining us for the next few minutes is uh, Don Fox. You've heard him, of course, on CHML, the executive financial consultant of IG Private Wealth Management. Joining us, Don, it's been a while, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Ted. It has been a while. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear from you. So listen, the song was Help, and I can tell you now, because of people planning for retirement, those of us that have now moved somewhat into retirement, and people raising families, inflation is wreaking havoc in our lives. And I know, Don, as a financial guy, you always say, first of all, don't panic. But are we close to being able to allow to panic, given what's going on? Well, you know, everybody has a right to have a little bit of a panic moment, but then you got to you know, re-grip and go, and, straight, and go forward again, and it is tricky. This is a, 
You know, we haven't seen things like this since the early 80s, and we both are of that vintage. We remember that, Ted. Yep. Where <laughs> where interest rates were going up. And at the difference, though, is we were, you know, 42 years younger at the time, and perhaps it didn't affect at least the retirement side as much. But it certainly did. Inflation, you know, hit as high as 13% in the early 80s. Yep. So we are not there yet. It hit 7.7 last uh, as of yesterday. And, you know, that's the consumer price index, too. And that's often very misleading because if you drive a car to Toronto um, and, and a good portion of your, your bill is, is gas, gasoline, well, you've seen a 44% spike in that. So that's another, that's, you're way skewed higher than the 7.7 that they're, they're suggesting. You know, so Don, it's, it's difficult. You just mentioned something that, that jumped out, and I actually heard it yesterday on CHML News, and I, I, and I keep track of all my gas expenses just because I'm curious how much I paid through the years. 44% higher than this time last year. And how many times have we heard the story from people already, Don, what usually cost them uh, if they have an SUV? I don't know, 60 70 80 bucks to fill up. Now it's well over 100 and in some case, right. cases close to $200. You have to go to work. You have to put gas in the family car. But, but how do you get around something like that? that and this is a whole point of saying okay that's that is somewhat limiting to inflation just the fact that okay you just spent double in gasoline and so now you've got to take that money it's not a non-exhaustive pot of money you have to say okay what gives when i'm spending an extra hundred dollars a week in gasoline so therefore there's discretionary and then there's non-discretionary expenses and non-discretionary would be things like gasoline and you know mortgage payments, for example, or hydro, or you know the things you have no choice but to make payments on. Discretionary, of course, entertainment, going to restaurants, uh, you know, holidays, things that you do have a choice on. And then you have to take a look at it. You know, this is a very good time to really go through your budgeting experience for those that are you know basically at all times it's good before retirement and then after but yeah there's a lot of inflationary pressures and this is a great time to go back and say okay what am i spending money on and you may find some areas that you could save money on that you didn't need to um case in point if i don't mind is uh uh, you know things such as a lot of the different subscriptions people have uh, whether uh, maybe Co- maybe Kojiko cut the cord, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, maybe having a telephone that you're at landline that you don't use except for, you know, people are calling you that you really don't want to hear from, <laughs> you know, usually asking for money. So there is areas that maybe you, you've been waiting to and maybe this is the time you could cut back on some things. You know, Don, you brought up an interesting point about people looking at their uh, their home budgets and, for example, uh, going out and uh, dining out. And, you know, it's it, it it's it's so not ironic, but so sad that we just kind of started to turn the corner and get the restaurant industry back on its feet, and people were gladly going out for meals at restaurants, and now, because of this, now they have to cut back. That causes yet another ripple effect down the road, doesn't it? 100%. It, it is actually ironic, and that's a perfect word. It's, it's like, finally, we get to go and do stuff, have some fun, and oh boy, we don't have the money now to do it because inflation is so high. So yeah, it uh, doesn't quite work in the favor of that, but also all the areas such as theater and, and possibly the small trips. But you know what? There is wh- things that are, are free. There's things that you can do that do not cost money. And, uh, you know, whether it might be hiking or maybe um, some of the free concerts that are, are around and so forth or, or less expensive options that you say, OK, we're going to you know, cut back a bit. But the other side of the, inf- the inflation, it's a direct result. It's a, in, a direct correlation to interest rates. And that's 
the real key is so there's two parts to this one is our prices are higher the next is our interest rates are going up in tandem to try to curb inflation and so that's another type of inflationary expense because now if you're on a variable rate mortgage you have a higher mortgage payment if you have a line of credit that has also gone up and and so it's a great time to say is there ways to consolidate debt and and therefore reduce our interest payments or, or even pay off debts if you if you can because it wasn't a big deal when it was you know a few you know less than three percent but mm-hmm. maybe they're up to five or six percent now and of course and when now you, it's getting expensive and when you get the uh, the cards in from the credit cards and it's up to, to twenty or twenty five percent of course you're paying interest on that and a lot of people don't understand exactly when they slap stuff on on the visa uh, what's going to happen on the other side Don uh, in your experience now with what's going on is the R word now starting to play a, a factor in people's mindsets knowing that the that some of the experts are saying that there is a recession possibly coming around the corner maybe later this fall or maybe next year is that what you're finding in uh, in your daily activities and work well it's the r words out um generally speaking as soon as people start predicting recessions it usually doesn't happen so i'm kind of glad it's out there because <laughs> a lot most of the time they're wrong but right. uh, in this case you know there's a lot of things where the economy is actually full employment for example it's hard to find somebody to hire because there's just there's just so so few for the amount of jobs out there. Those aren't usually things that lead up to a recession. There's a whole lot of factors that normally say these aren't recession things. Now, certainly, if we slow down the economy too quick by raising interest rates, then that's a possibility. So it's always that teeter-totter. How much do we want to increase interest rates and try to cur- you know stop this inflation in its tracks? Because we don't want to get it out of hand because it would then lead to a recession. So it is a fine balance. And uh, yeah, the recession word again, just to understand what a recession is, it is two negative quarters. So six consecutively, so six months of negative growth in the economy. It's not the end of the world if it, there is. That's a, technically now you're in a recession and then you could be popped out of it. Stock markets actually often start to rise during the recession because they're already forward thinking. So they're already down year to date between 10 and 30%, depending on which market you're looking at. And they're already saying, okay, because of the inflationary factors and so forth, we expect so much, you know, certain uh, decreases in growth. And then also there's a recession. It's now looking at the other side, light to the end of the tunnel, and the markets quite often go up during the recession. So it's not as much as, it's yes, it's an R word, it's understanding what it really means. Don Fox from IG Private Wealth Management, uh, thanks for the update on inflation and what people can do about it. And hopefully next time we chat uh, down the road, it'll be a little less uh, angst-filled <laughs> than it is right now. Thanks for joining us, Don. Much appreciated. Anytime, Ted. Great to speak with you. Joining us from St. John, uh, New Brunswick, just before Game 2 tonight, Memorial Cup, uh, the Bulldogs and Shawinigan and Cataract, is Scott Radley, who uh, is host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with The Spectator, also a guy that does the morning show, and this week is in St. John. Are you getting any sleep, Scott? I am not, Ted, but it's glad. I'm really, I'm thrilled to hear you back. I'm glad they carved you out of the sarcophagus and brought you back onto the air. That's terrific. <laughs> uh, judging from your uh, cell phone, you are at the arena, correct? I am at the arena. I'm in the uh, in the undercarriage of the arena here. Although it's not quite as concretey as First Ontario Centre, so yep. we have connections. <laughs> it's. Uh, it, it, let me ask a question for you. Yep. See if you know this one. They're playing the Bulldogs are playing the Shawinigan Cataract tonight. Yes. Why, why are they called the Cataract? It's got nothing to do with bad eyesight. 
No, it's because um, it's it has to do with uh, looking at their logo. Uh, some is it a native Canadian uh, tie-in? No, there is a interesting twist here today. Ah. Cataract. Cataract is French for waterfall, and it's named after Shawinigan Falls. So tonight ah. is the city of waterfalls against the city of waterfalls. Very nicely done, and you throw that in your column. By the way, you would go back because you and I are of the same vintage. Earlier today, and it was the best line from it was the best line I heard all week from Dave Woodard when he threatened to put our producer Ben Strong in the Shawinigan handshake, and Ben had no idea what he was talking about. Because when I was looking at Shawinigan, I thought the first thing, of course, is it's the hometown of Jean Chrétien. It is, although we got to stop for a second. You're saying that you and I are the same vintage? Well, okay, close. <laughs> close. Yes, it is the, it is the hometown of Jean Chrétien. No word if he would be making an appearance tonight, though I suspect probably not. Yeah. Um, but no, this is, look, this is a, um, this is a game. It, tomorrow night, tomorrow night is the game that makes or breaks the season for Hamilton. Okay. Because no matter what happens tonight, they can put themselves in a better situation and give themselves more options to advance to the playoffs if they do well tonight. But they can't clinch a playoff spot no matter what happens. And they can't be eliminated tonight no matter what happens. However, tomorrow when they play the Edmonton Oil Kings, depending on what happens tonight, they may have to win in regulation time to advance. So, again, if they could get a point by going to overtime, if they could get two points by winning in overtime, three points. They have a system here where you get three points for winning in regulation. All of those options would put them in a far, far, far better situation for tomorrow night. And you see, Scott, and so uh, Mia Culpa is on the air a while ago. I had mentioned how this, in many ways, uh, is a must-win for the Bulldogs, and clearly that is not the case. Now, obviously, tomorrow night, as you say, it is the most important game of the year. Well, look, tonight is important, and I'll tell you why. Because if they lose in regulation time tonight, yep. they will have zero points after two. They'll need some help, and as I say, they would have to win, not even in overtime, they would have to win in regulation, which changes, I would think, a lot about how you play that game. You're going to have to take some chances. You're going to have to do some things you might not want to do. And so tonight, let's say they could get the three points. Yep. Tomorrow, all they would have to do is get to an overtime and pick up a point. Even if they lose in overtime, they would have a chance to keep playing here. So they can certainly put themselves in a far better position today with a good performance. And honestly, Ted, I expect they will, and I'll tell you why. They played probably their worst game of the year on Monday. Like, it was so uncharacteristic. Everything about it was uncharacteristic of them. And all year this year, they have been very consistent about doing one thing. In those rare occasions when they pitch a stinker, and it rarely has happened, they have always come back with a tremendous game the next night. So I fully expect that we're going to see a really good Bulldog team. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win because the whole point of the Memorial Cup is you've got three of the four top teams in the country and the host. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the host is pretty good, too. So, uh, no guarantee of a win, but I, I think it'll be much, much different team out there tonight. Well, Scott, you brought up an interesting point in your column, and you talk about the host team that hadn't played in something like 30-some-odd uh, days. I And it it's funny, the subtle parts of a hockey game that maybe the uh, a lot of people don't pick up, but you did. You had mentioned how the Bulldogs seemed tired uh, on their first game. Talk about that, and do you think that the uh, long uh, series, maybe not physically, but emotionally, going seven games against Windsor took its toll? Oh, sure it did. And, and Steve Stales, the general manager of the Bulldogs on the, on the show this morning, and Ted, I asked him this, like he played 
for the Edmonton Oilers in a Game 7. They lost that year, but he played in a Game 7, went to the final, the very last possible game you could play in an NHL season. Yep. And I said, imagine you had won that. Well, first of all, when you were done, what was your body and mental framework like? And he says, we, it was, we were bad. We were banged up. We were exhausted. Everything else. I said, now imagine you won. And they said, congratulations. Now you have to go and get fired up again to play in a world championship. And he goes, it's like, that's what's happening here. You win your championship, and now you have another layer. And so the, the, the fact that they went to a Game 7, they're banged up. This is a team that's got some key injuries. Yeah, the one in particular on defense with their captain is done for the year. He's got a banged up knee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge loss. And you say, well, okay, but St. John didn't play for a month and a half almost. Truly, they're rusty. Well, yeah, um, but they also were playing at home in front of their crowd. They were energized and they had lots of jump. And then when they got a goal early, it looked like Hamilton, the fatigue just sort of slammed into them and they just, they didn't look like themselves. So, that's another part of the game. That's another part of the story tonight is if you watch it, do they look like they've found that energy again? And the, the way you're going to be able to tell first is this is a team that all year won most races for loose pucks, won most battles for pucks when they were in the corners or whatever. If you don't see the Bulldogs getting to pucks quickly, that's a bad sign. If you see them on the puck quickly and, and getting there, that looks like that's the team that has been playing all year. So, Scott, just before we wrap up, um, and I know that you mentioned that all the teams that are in this tournament are good. Obviously, they, they're uh, champions. What stands out? What's uh, the scuttlebutt about the team from Shawinigan? Because generally, when we think of teams from Quebec, the first thing that you think of is speed. They, well, speed and, and from the Quebec League, usually scoring. The Quebec League has traditionally been a really high-scoring league. And yep. They, and, of course, now that you've asked me, I'm standing here and I'm drawing a complete blank on the guy's name who's got, who scored 56 goals for them this year and had 100-and-something points. They've got one unbelievably great line that carries that team. And if you can deal with that line and shut it down, the thing the Bulldogs have is they have a couple of great lines and they have a lot of depth. Now, the depth is tested because of injuries, but if you can, if you can control that line, and it's a, it's a French name. I was going to say it's a French name. Of course it's a French name. Why wouldn't it be? It's for Swinigan, but... Um, is it uh, Xavier Bougou? Uh, no, but okay. I'll, I'll think of it as soon as I hang up with you. Well, anyway, of course. Yeah. Watch, it on, watch it tonight on TV. They'll talk about him all again and again and again. He had a couple of goals last game. He's a great player. Shut him down, and you give yourself a really, really good chance of, uh, of doing something in the game. It wouldn't surprise me if there were a bunch of goals in this one, though, because both of these teams can really score. And, of course, uh, staying out of the penalty box, of course, is crucial. Okay, Scott, enjoy it. I uh, know that you'll be up tomorrow morning uh, talking about this game here on CHML, and, and we'll see what happens because, of course, as we say, as you mentioned, yes, it's important tonight. Tomorrow night is even more crucial. Stay safe, Scott. Enjoy the game, and we'll uh, talk to you at some point. We will indeed. See you, Ted. All right, thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Our next guest is going to be uh, coming back home, so to speak, to Burlington in a big event for mental health awareness, uh, a fundraiser for the Canadian Mental Health Association, the Halton Branch. He is one of the original members of the Spoons. Gord Depp joins us here on uh, Hamilton Today on 900 CHML. Gord, thanks very much for joining us. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh it's good to be back 
Actually, you know, we, I live very close to Burlington, so it's a very short trip for me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, which, which is nice to know. So, Gord, as we say, this event is called The Long Road Back. It's uh, kind of, uh, I'll be hosting the event, uh, talking about uh, anxiety, my battle with anxiety, what happened, how COVID wreaked uh, havoc in all our lives. And then uh, after that, you'll uh, take the stage for a great night of partying. But uh, this event, why, what resonates about dealing and and helping people that have mental health uh, issues because of COVID, what what appeals to you so much? Well, first off, it's it's our hometown, you know, which is it's key. But what you said a second ago, what you struggled with, you know, I bet you there's thousands of people out there going, "Well, me too," you know, like it's so common. I, it's kind of like the the other silent pandemic that happened while we were so caught up in all the you know the COVID and that kind of thing. And boy, I'm married to a pharmacist, and I, I sure have seen what it's done to people, you know. And that's at just one level of frontline workers and what it's done to the music industry and, and not just the work, but mentally how it's, you know, put people down. And then so I can imagine in all walks of life what it's done, you know, and, and then even the youth, you know, like I have children. So I, I can't imagine, you know, a couple of years of your, your childhood pretty, pretty well being taken away from you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so big in scope that we have to be part of it. Gorda, I know um, when uh, it comes to singing, and of course, I always think I can sing and then get told that I can't, but I know yeah. it's all about breath control and core and what have you. I can't even imagine, Gord, if a singer, and we've heard the stories, if a musician or a singer ended up getting COVID, I understand that one of the things that does it really just rips the, uh, the lungs apart. I can't even imagine trying to come back from that as a singer after dealing with COVID. Well, you know what? I got I, I did get COVID last December, but you know what? There's different types of COVID. I got the original Delta and it, it didn't it didn't help or hurt my singing at all. Whereas people who are getting it now, the Omicron, it really gets your throat and and, and hurts your singing. So it depends on what it what it is. You know, but it, it you know what it what it really did was it just knocked the wind out of me. I felt like I had jet lag every day. You know, I, I told people I'm 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 okay as long as I don't have to run away from a bear or, <laughs> or that kind of thing. It just I just felt defeated every day, and that could be mentally and, and physically. So even though I could sing, I probably wouldn't have the strength to get up there and get through a set. Gord, I'm curious, and you just mentioned uh, that your wife is a pharmacist. I'm sure she had stories that she shared with you about not specific names, but but people mm-hmm. that people that either really were uh, yes, I want the vaccine, or people on the other hand that said, ah, we don't know what the vaccine is. I don't want it in my body, and they have to deal with that type of frustration. Of course, and that's all the politics of it. So you know, they're saying one thing in the news, and the politicians, and then they have to t- get the backlash at the pharmacy. So. It wasn't just dealing with people who were legitimately sick, but it was the mental, like the confusion, you know, that really frustrated people and kind of really didn't help much when it came to mental health either, because it made you feel helpless. You know, that's a big part of it when not even your politicians could really tell you or give you a straight answer. So, yeah, she definitely saw that. And sometimes, you know, I'm sure other people like nurses and police and they got it worse than pharmacists, but. You get the brunt of that. You get, you know, you get the frustration of people, and that really, really, you know, gnaws away to, as well when everybody seems to be against you when you're trying to help people. 
Our guest on Hamilton today is Gore Depp uh, from The Spoons, who will be joining us on stage at the Burlington Performing Arts Center on Locust Street in Burlington on Thursday, September 28th. It is a fundraiser for the Canadian Mental Health Association, Halt Branch. It's called The Long Road Back. Gord, I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, when we're down there initially talking to the folks at BPAC that are outstanding, um, for me, walking on that stage and just looking around the beauty of that hall and the yeah. uh, kind of, you know, seats in the front, but, but then the great seats, as they tell me, it's the best seats in the house on the side. I got a chill walking on that stage, Gord. I don't know about you, but that is such a gorgeous hall. Oh, it is. I'm very proud that we our, our hometown has a place like that. A lot of places don't. And it's located right by Lakeshore, so it's, it's a beautiful night out. Not, not just going there, but afterwards, you know, all the beautiful places along the waterfront yep. there. It's just a great area. It's like a little piece of, uh, like, paradise down there. Gord, I should also mention uh, that we are documenting this uh, in uh, documentary form. We'll be announcing details of that soon. But one of the great shots, Gord, that I want to get the night of the event is when you do romantic traffic. And I know what's going to happen because the audience, and we're going to get them on camera all going, apparently that's the most important part of the show for people. They just get right into it, don't they? Yeah, you know, I tell people I'm lucky that we wrote some, you know, didn't write them too complicated. <laughs> you, can't, you can't forget. Dude, dude. <laughs> I, I just, I, I just, we just did a show and um, Chris Hadley, the, the astronaut, came and he does his song, right? Yep. And he asked if you could sing that song with us. And I said, sure, if, as long as I can sing Space Oddity with you. And I did. And he came up and he actually had a cheat sheet he put on the monitor with rows of do, 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 do. Did you actually have to write that out? <laughs> That's... I loved it. We had a good chuckle. <laughs> so, uh, h- how busy are you um, staying with the spoons? You're not obviously going out all the time on the road. Uh, it's nice that as we get older, Gord, sometimes you kind of scale back a little bit and kind of pick pick your own well, pace. Not exactly, really. It's just, it, it, obviously, the pandemic put a big, you know, black hole in the industry for a while. But I'm also the guitar player for Flock of Seagulls from from England. Right. Last four years, so. When things were locked down here, I was touring in the States and vice versa. So I have been pretty busy going. And we start up again, actually last weekend, pretty full time the rest of the year, not, unless things change once more. But I tell you that the 80s were a good de- decade to be part of. They're, they're pretty timeless and people can't get enough. And especially after, after COVID and the pandemic, it's kind of like comfort food for the soul. Very much looking forward, Gore, to working with you that night on uh, thir- uh, Wednesday, September the 28th, The Long Road Back, the fundraiser for the Canadian Mental Health Association, Halton Branch at the Burlington Performing Arts Centre. Uh, Gore Depp and the Spoons will be there at the end. I'll be up there with you, Gore. If you get a chance, I'll be singing that chorus with you. So yeah. I'm just giving you a heads up on that in advance. Thanks very much. I, I know the summer is going to be busy for you, but we look forward to, to staying in touch, promoting the show, and uh, definitely seeing you face to face on the 28th. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you then. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News Today's Talk 900 CHML. It is a bittersweet day for all of us in Hamilton as uh, the uh, main hall, the Great Hall, the First Ontario Concert Hall, will soon be renamed and it'll be named in uh, honor of the late conductor Boris Brat, who, of course, was tragically taken from us uh, back in April and just 
joining us for the next few minutes is the interim conductor or the artistic director of the Brat Music Festival. Elaine Trudell joins us. Elaine, fair to say, uh, bittersweet day for all of us today? Yeah, exactly. I think they, there's no other way to put it. I mean, it's... Uh, it's an incredible tribute, but he was an incredible man, so that's uh, well-deserved. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've worked at that hall before, Elaine, and, and, and we this hall actually went goes back. Um, it yeah. was built, I believe, opened in 1973, I believe. And I talked to people, even musicians like Burton Cummings, and he said that hall still remains one of his favorite to work at because the acoustics are so incredible, and people don't know, Elaine, that Boris had a hand in designing the acoustics for that hall. Oh, absolutely. And uh, actually, uh, in the, the concert we're going to play ne next week, uh, there is actually the first piece that was written to be played in that hall. And the piece features the orchestra, but in the way that it features the acoustics with musicians coming in uh, and uh, one by one and the people in, also in the audience. So it's a great way to, to hear the progression of the hall. Now, I know that you, as we mentioned, you're the interim conductor uh, and you are the artistic director for the Brat Music Festival, which is a part of, of Hamilton uh, life and has been for, for quite some time. Yes. I don't know what you can tell us, Elaine, as far as what's being planned down the road, but I do know that uh, when it comes to the Brat Music Festival, you're always getting ideas, aren't you, about what can we do to make it be even bigger and better than the years before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's really... Uh, fitting is that this year's program was, uh, it, it was already planned because we plan as music directors, we plan a year or two in advance. So this year was completely planned by Boris. So people will come and hear the, the concerts will kind of have a glance yet again and, and Boris's mind and heart and his soul and what he thought of doing in each one of those programs. And, uh, we're already of course working at the future because we want to make sure that, uh, the legacy is very strong and it keeps doing. And one thing, as you mentioned, is that what's next? Like uh, like Boris was always thinking ahead, mm -hmm. ahead of the curve. And that's what we plan to do, continuing the, the legacy and just thinking of sometimes things that nobody has thought of. Uh, and then uh, and, and and then we come up with something that people saw. Really, you thought about that. So that, that was always what Boris did. So we plan to continue that way. And uh, the, by the way, the, the inaugural concert will be on June 30th. I know, Elaine, that everybody, when it comes time to perform, has to concentrate, perform mm -hmm. the task at hand as yourself. But I can't imagine what the emotions will be like coursing through your body, for example, when you start the performance on June 30th, knowing that Boris is no longer with us, but is with us in spirit. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 in a way, it's a good thing that the, it's such an immense piece, Beethoven Ninth Symphony, because as you said, we have to focus. Everybody make sure we focus. But at the same time, you know, the first time the chorus is going to say, friend, Freude, is going to be, you know, I'm going to think of, you know, my friend, our friend, your friend, that we're all missing already. And not to say anything from the family, like for them, it's uh, us uh, times a million, right? So it's, uh, no, it's, it's going to be very emotional. Our guest on uh, Hamilton this afternoon, uh, Hamilton Today, is Elaine Trudell. He is the new artistic director uh, for the uh, Boris Brat Music Festival, uh, the big performance coming up on June the 30th. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, uh, Elaine, that they sent a news uh, release literally a few moments ago. And, and mm -hmm. I find it because this is so... This is so Ardith, uh, Ardith uh, Broad, isn't it? She said, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing Boris justice if I didn't mention you can purchase tickets by calling 525-SONG or visiting BroughtMusic.com. Such a sad story, but boy, life goes on still, doesn't it? 
it's true and you know it's like it's like a wink he's doing at us through her going like you know yeah 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 but buy your ticket <laughs> that, 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 like he would absolutely say that and that's uh you know we always i i have a diff- I, I can i don't even talk to boris in the past tense or i'm not ready for that so it's like he's still there with us and uh you know, let's just share in that moment and uh, share with them. What was the response like? And I think I know, but uh, you literally got, I'm sure, people reaching out literally from uh, orchestras and uh, festivals, literally from around the world after the sad news about Boris's passing, yeah. right? Absolutely. Uh, if you saw the, the service we had in Hamilton, I mean, you know, uh, people are coming from all over the place. I I know that I did. I'm, I'm in Montreal right now, but... Uh, a little bit like Boris, I also have a place in Montreal, but uh, just um, the minute it was there, so, okay, when is it happening? We're there, and I saw people that I know from everywhere uh, coming from all over the world to come and attend this and to pay their respect, and uh, I think it's just going to keep going. I mean, it's uh, I was, it was in Montreal, so we we also had um, uh, a function with uh, the, um, the the Chamber Orchestra, Montreal Chamber Orchestra, and you know people were there. Like Pinkas Zuckerman was there, uh, Amanda Forsyth. Uh, we have you know, people from everywhere that come and pay their respect. Uh, just before we wrap up, um, w- when you think back now, and we talked about Boris passing away in in April, and I know that you can't really sum it up in one word, but maybe in one sentence, Elaine, when it comes down to, again, the life of Boris brought, what was the legacy that he left for this community? Well, one word is going to be difficult, but what I can say yep. is that, uh, you know, how much he loved music, how much he loved the musicians, and, uh, and especially the... Um, you know, building something for the future from the next generation, because that's what we do, right? We we play all kinds of music for uh, for the community, but it's also played by this coming generation of musicians. And just finding, you can see, there's th- more than more than fifteen hundred of them that have jobs everywhere in America and in Europe. That's all Boris. I mean, uh, well, Boris and Ardith, but that's all the festival. So yes, in the community, yes, the the young musicians. And I think it's just sharing. I would say sharing. If you if you're looking forward, uh, sharing, loving, giving that that kind that that's the neighborhood that I would be. Our guest on uh, Hamilton today is. Um a man who uh, is stepping into some really big shoes. The um, uh-huh. the new um, artistic director, uh, Alain Trudel, uh, Trudel of the. Uh, Brought Music Festival, uh, joining us to talk about the big show coming up on June 30th. And we say big because it is uh, dedicated to the tribute uh, to the legacy of Boris Brat. And, of course, the news coming out today that the Great Hall will be dedicated and renamed in Boris Brat's honor. Elaine, thank you very much uh, for the time. I know it's going to be an emotional day. Let's all enjoy it on June 30th and remember Boris the way that he would want us to remember him. Yeah, my pleasure. See you over there. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We've heard a lot of um, stories on CHML News and uh, doesn't appear to get a, uh, be getting any better. As uh, Councillor Terry Whitehead from Hamilton taking another sick leave after yet um, another story came out on CHML News about what was happening with his behavior and uh, being uh, fined by... Um, or I don't say fine, but certainly uh, he has to uh, basically 
forego 45 days pay. And he did confirm that he is battling uh, mental health issues, specifically depression. He said he's going back on city uh, on sick leave and he won't be coming back to City Hall. But the question becomes, what do you do when it comes to being an employer or an employee and how difficult can this situation be? Joining us is Laura Williams, the founder and managing partner of Williams Law and the president of Williams HR Consulting. Laura, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ted. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, talk about this situation where uh, Terry Whitehead, um, It, you know, I, I, I saw the video yesterday of the way that he was behaving. And in many ways, being somebody who does a lot of work with um, and a lot of content on the air about health and wellness and mental health, in many ways, Laura, that almost looked, and I don't know if you saw it, but it looked like a cry for help, and he finally admitted yesterday that he has mental health issues, including depression. Um, I guess the first question is, as an employer, uh, what can somebody do if this is the situation that they're dealing with? Well, this is not an unusual situation, particularly in kind of the the time that we're in, Ted, coming out of a very stressful two years, um, a lot of uh, individuals and the stats bear out that, um, you know, we are in an echo pandemic, uh, which has been uh, kind of termed that way as it relates to the mental health crisis that we find ourselves in. And this certainly is impacting the workplace. And so, you know, in terms of the work that we do with employers across sectors and industries, you know, the conflict issues, um, oftentimes manifesting as harassing and bullying behaviors do have underlying mental health um, issues that uh, where, you know, you may have employees that are triggered by various situations or just having a hard time coping. And it is the trickiest of tricky terrain when you have to balance the employee's you know, duty or the employer's duty to accommodate the employee and to ensure that they're not discriminating against the the employee on the basis of disability and also providing, you know, safe work environments for their other staff. Laura, so let's do um, some some role playing here. Let's assume that I'm uh, one of the uh, employees that uh, is having problems, lashed out at, uh, at my fellow coworkers, anger issues, what have you. You come to me in a quiet moment and say, "Okay, Ted, we have to talk. Uh, we've noticed that there's been a change in your behavior, and you should probably get some sort of assistance." What happens as the employee if I say to you, "I'm fine. Leave me alone." Well, you know, it really depends on the nature of the outburst or the conduct uh, with respect to what steps the employer might be required to take. So it may be, given the nature of the condition that the employee is um, suffering from, they may not be aware of their uh, conduct and the impact and implications of their conduct. So it may very well be that the employer should put to the employee kind of the basis for its concern and then have the employee attend at either their kind of treating physician or a specialist as may be the case so that the employer can determine whether or not the employee is fit to perform work and whether or not the employee could pose a hazard to the workplace. Now, taking that one step further, if the employee and you talk about, you know, this is what you should be be doing, what happens if the employee continues to insist, I'm fine, leave me alone, I'll I'll be able to handle it myself? Basically being, uh, I don't want to use the term stubborn, but basically failing to admit that they have a problem. 
Well, then the employer, if it doesn't take the right steps, could be found to have not taken every precaution reasonable to ensure the safety of its workplace. So the employer just can't kind of let it alone if the employee insists that they're fine. The employer has to take positive steps to ensure that it can confirm, particularly if the uh, the behaviors are hazardous, if they could escalate and, and, and you know, result in harms to others within the workplace, the employer needs to take the steps to ensure that, you know, it can is duly diligent in, first of all, determining whether or not there is a risk of this employee cre- you know, being harmful in the workplace, uh, but also, you know, taking steps to ensure for that employee's safety and to ensure that the rights that that employee may have with respect to being accommodated are also observed. Our guest on Hamilton today is Laura Williams, the founder managing partner of Williams HR Law, talking about the situation in uh, Hamilton City Hall. Councillor Terry Whitehead uh, taking a leave, admitted yesterday that he is suffering from some issues, including uh, depression. So, Laura, um, you, you mentioned a while ago about uh, what's going on, uh, the problems called, caused with the pandemic. Is this type, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the, you know, the vernacular toxic workplace, uh, the bullying that's been going on, uh, not only at City Hall, but it seems uh, with more and more businesses. Have you found because of the pandemic over the last couple of years that these things are being um, maybe dealt with more than maybe people thought it was? I can say with absolute confidence that the number of workplace investigations, because we conduct investigations right. on behalf of, in, in, in the context of the workplace, but also allegations from employees that the workplaces are unsafe or that there are um, there's a toxic or poisonous work environment that, you know, they're at all time highs. And uh, the a lot of the issues that employers have been facing as well is, look, we're working differently. So there are different um, kind of manifestations of call it bad behavior or misconduct through, let's say, our, you know, in increased electric electronic communications in terms of that's how we have to communicate or virtual interactions that employers really haven't been dealing with. And um, and if the employer does not address, you know, outbursts, uh, bullying type behaviors or workplace harassment generally in the workplace, that certainly can result in these behaviors becoming somewhat normalized and the creation and perpetuation of a toxic work environment, for sure. Now, just before we wrap up, Laura, the big question now for a lot of businesses that were hopefully getting uh, through the uh, back end of the, the pandemic is, uh, legally, can an employer ask an employee to come back to the office if they've been working remotely for the last uh, several years, stating that they, they need to, to be there for their job? Well, and that is the trickiest of tricky questions because um, it really depends on the nature of the work that's being performed. Right. And also depends on what types of communications the employer has been, you know, providing during the um, the pandemic when employees were working remotely. Was it communicated as a temporary measure? Um, were there overtures made that there perhaps would be, you know, changed uh, working conditions? Um, and, and again, as I mentioned as well, it depends on the demand um, and, and how the work needs to be performed. But I'll tell you something, what's really critical for employers to do is if you are going to require a you know, full time back to office or back to site 
um, kind of working arrangement, you better have a pretty good why connected to the performance of work because, you know, we're in a time now where employers across the board are having a hard time retaining their talent and flexibility and hybrid work environment uh, arrangements rather where feasible. This is what employees want. Laura Williams from Williams HR Consulting Incorporated. Thank you for a fascinating look at uh, at what has been happening. Uh, apparently, a lot uh, more than uh, than people think. Thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me, Ted. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Ottawa, where the public inquiry yesterday was told that the RCMP commissioner pressed the Mounties to disclose the weapons used in the Nova Scotia mass shooting to help advance the Liberals' gun control legislation. That obviously raised some concerns. Joining us for the next few minutes to talk about that is Duff Conacher, the co-founder of Democracy Watch. Duff, first of all, thank you. I've never had a chance to chat a chat with you on the air. Pleasure. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. So uh, let's talk about that. Um, Are the warning bells and the red flags and everything else going up about uh, what was uh, uh, talked about yesterday on Parliament Hill? Well, definitely. Um, It is a a question of he said, she said, and really difficult to know where the truth lies in that situation. There isn't a recording of the uh, conference call where it's alleged that the RCMP commissioner pressured the investigators, um, nor of other uh, calls where the communications officer of the RCMP says that the, the Minister Bill Blair and, and, and Liberal Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, the Prime Minister's office, were also directing what they could say in uh, response to media requests. And so people will generally just have to believe what they believe because of course the government's denying it all around because it, it would be scandalous for them to be interfering in the RCMP's operations in this way. I was going to ask, if you will, what type of uh, finger quote here, what type of proof would there be to show that the government uh, perhaps uh, is not quite truthful in what they're saying? Well, nothing that's come out so far. Um, that may change. There may be someone who recorded the call uh, or calls. But so far, it's just RCMP officers saying one thing and Prime Minister Trudeau and uh, former public safety minister Bill Blair saying another and the commissioner, RCMP commissioner as well, denying that she was uh, pressuring the uh, officers for release of information about the guns used in the Nova Scotia mass shooting in order to facilitate the Liberals uh, wanting to pass gun control legislation. And again, uh, there are accusations, Guff of uh, Duff, of interference associated with the government. Yet another, if you will, I don't want to say scandal, but something that maybe doesn't paint the Prime Minister in such a positive light. No, definitely not. Um, and people will believe what they want to believe. Um, the RCMP former uh, uh, commissioner and and former superintendent of the RCMP have defended the officer who took these notes, saying that uh, that uh, the, the current commissioner, Brenda Lucky, was uh, pressuring them to release the information about the guns because uh, the prime minister's office and Bill Blair, the public safety minister, wanted the information released. Um, but you know, again, there isn't any clear there's no transcript or recording of the meeting so people will believe what they want to believe um it just shows you how smart jody wilson raybould was to actually tape a phone call with uh the 
clerk of the Privy Council Office, Michael Wernick, with regard to the SNC-Lavalin scandal, where the Prime Minister's office and others were pressuring the Attorney General to stop the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. If she hadn't taped that, uh, showing that it was clear they, that she was being pressured by the Prime Minister through Michael Wernick, then it would have been a he-said-she-said said situation. There's a name we haven't uh, heard in a while. Jody Wilson-Raybould obviously uh, is probably uh, very, very lucky that she's not up on Parliament Hill now. Duff, before we uh, let you go, I wanted to change gears um, because now there has been talk about another protest convoy going to Ottawa on Canada Day. Uh, how uh, This obviously is concerning. Um, how close to being truthful is um, the indication that that's what's being planned? It's hard to tell at this point. Um, there have been uh, a few since the convoy uh, said that uh, it was heading to Ottawa to, and then ended up blocking the roads and and causing that whole uh, situation in Ottawa and then heading elsewhere to provincial capitals. And there have been a few uh, uh, planned and rumored uh, pr- protests that haven't amounted to much in the end. And so... It's really hard to judge, like with anything on social media these days, whether it's really happening, really true or not. Um, And in this case, when someone's saying that they're all heading to Ottawa to protest, you don't really know whether it's actually uh, turning into a big protest or just a few people until the day comes and you see who shows up. So it'll be something to watch. Definitely you'll see the Ottawa police react differently as they did to a, a protest that followed the convoy. Um, really shutting down any access uh, anywhere near Parliament Hill. And I would expect they'll do the same and also um, be also checking on the highways as they did for that also follow-up protest, preventing some uh, vehicles from even heading downtown uh, because they wanted to avoid that that road blockage again. So we'll just have to see uh, whether it happens or not, whether it turns into something big or whether it's just a few people uh, hoping to rally a lot of people to head to Ottawa. Just before we wrap up, uh, of course, they had the news conference yesterday. They were a group of multiple Conservative MPs there, including um, uh, a Hamilton area MP, Dean Allison, who was there. Uh, this uh, Should this be very concerning to everybody, knowing that the Conservative, some Conservative MPs are kind of saying, hey, come on back, we miss you, uh, by all means, protest if you want? Well, there's nothing wrong with protesting, and that's a good thing. It means citizens are trying to make their voice heard. And there's nothing wrong also with even blocking roads. That's done for a short period of time in lots of situations to raise awareness. And um, it's usually done, and then an injunction is obtained, and, and people clear away. The big difference with the convoy was they were refusing to move, uh, even after court orders were issued, uh, and it was declared to be a a clearly illegal road blockage. Um, So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, There is something wrong with making false claims. Some people call them conspiracy theories, misinformation, disinformation. They're all lies. That's the plain word. We should start using that plain word. And it's not okay to be lying in politics. And we need an honesty in politics law, which would stop a lot of this stuff from happening. We don't want to be stifling dissent, reasonable uh, opinions based on the facts, and people expressing those in any way they want, other than, of course, violently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to stop false claims. And 
we need, that includes by politicians during elections, baiting voters with false promises and government officials making false claims in between elections and politicians as well. Uh, and also we need to stop false claims from voters and interest groups. It, it, you just can't have a reasonable discussion, let alone solve any problem in society, if everyone on both sides are making false claims, because then you're not dealing with reality. And if you're not dealing with reality, you're not going to solve any problem because you're not addressing an actual problem. You're addressing something that's made up. And so we need an honesty in politics law with a really independent commission enforcing it so that it doesn't stifle dissent or freedom of expression, but just simply stops false claims. It's really undermining politics worldwide, including here in Canada. Duff Conacher, the co-founder of Democracy Watch, will keep an eye on what's happening, of course, next week with the uh, maybe the protest up on Parliament Hill. Thank you for uh, joining us this afternoon. Have yourself a great day for what's left of it. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. I want to uh, apologize to our next guest only because I know that he is on vacation this week. And I know that generally when you try to get away from the station, you try to detach yourself, but I know it's not easy. So we're going to talk for a few minutes about all things sport-wise. Joining us is the host of Good Morning Hamilton and the guy that does everything at this radio station, and that is CHML's Rick Zamprin. So, Zamp, off the top, apologies that we uh, dragged you from maybe the barbecue to talk to me today. Like that famous quote, just when you think you got out, they pull you back in. See? here I am. <laughs> yeah, so uh, hopefully you're, you weren't barbecuing. But anyway, so uh, I wanted to kind of talk for a few minutes about the news that came out yesterday about the, uh, the federal government putting Hockey Canada on notice. Uh, access to public funds have been frozen uh, because of the alleged sexual assault and subsequent out-of-court settlement. So once again, Rick, uh, it seems when the government's involved... Everything seems to be hushed up. Nobody really knows a lot of what's going on. Is that a fair statement? Well, yeah and no. I mean, in the government's defense, it did not really know what was going on in this case because Hockey Canada really kept this, it seems, on the down low and really hush-hush. So basically, in 2018, there was an alleged incident at a, a golf gala, if you will, for the World Junior Hockey Team. This is the best of the best Canadian uh, under-20 players on the planet or in this country uh, getting ready to uh, partake in this tournament. And so they held this gala, and apparently this uh, female was there, and she claims that she was sexually assaulted by numerous uh, players on the team. None of the players have been named. She has not named any of them, or none of them have been named anywhere, really. So um, as the story goes, Hockey Canada um, liquidated some of its investments to pay this woman in an out-of-court settlement to the tune of more than $3.5 million. So uh, just uh, about a month ago, the uh, minister of sport in this country is notified by an investigative reporter who said, hey, you might want to check this out. So obviously some phone calls were made. Hockey Canada was brought to um, uh, Parliament Hill, uh, if you will, for um, you know an interrogation, for lack of a better term, with some legislators, and they have found out that yes, this indeed uh, took place. This out of court settlement was uh, reached with this individual. Uh, obviously, that didn't please the Minister of Sport, uh, Pascal Saint-Ange, who said, "Listen, that more needs to be done here." And there, um, there you have the froze or the the freeze of the funds, which. 
is not really a pittance. We're talking like $14 million over the last two years. So Hockey Canada earlier today said uh, we need to do more, was the quote from uh, their CEO, Scott Smith, I believe is his name. So they're committed to doing more. What that looks like remains to be seen. So that's where we are right now. You know, it's interesting, Rick, when you bring up that point of, of them saying uh, we need to to do more. I mean, how many times have we had the story, and I know that you've had the story and on sports and on news of, of you know, sexual assaults happening. And uh, since we're talking about hockey, in the hockey world here, both in the pros and in the juniors, and every time something happens, it's, yeah, we have to do more, we have to do more, and yet we continue to get these types of stories. That's the frustrating thing. I mean, and what does more look like? Because we've had a lot of education, especially over the last number of years. Uh, You know, the program Be More Than a Bystander is not new. It's been around for a few years. And that is when you see something, say something. And, you know, these individuals, I get they're young hockey players, but that should not um, uh, be, you know, a license to do whatever you want. There is a, there's probably even a greater responsibility when you're representing the country, whether it's in a sports, at a business function, whatever the case is, uh, you know, that's the last thing that should be on your mind. Now, we don't know what happened, uh, how it transpired, uh, and who did what, but at the end of the day, we know that Hockey Canada certainly, as it seems, tried to, you know, uh, sweep this under the rug and, um, you know, almost intimate that there's nothing to see here, when in fact there is a lot to see here. So I do have to credit, you know, the, the, the federal government for saying, hey, we, we need to take a deeper dive here. Let's freeze this funding. Let's do an audit of Hockey Canada. How much money are we giving them? Where is that money going? Uh, how are they using it? Um, so that, I think, is all good. Uh, Hockey Canada definitely needs to do more and needs to do a better job of, communicating to their players, coaches, staff, this kind of alleged uh, abuse is not tolerated. Rick, uh, changing hats just before we let you go. Um, Tiger Cats in Winnipeg tomorrow night. I know, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because I've been there and I know what it's like. Uh, last weekend, I would suggest the phone lines were singeing here on CHML on the fifth quarter with fans upset about what happened against Calgary. Are you prepared? Do you have your, your Kevlar ready? Because it could be a nasty night tomorrow night if the Tiger Cats lose to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and go 0-3. It's always how they win and lose. Uh, you are right. The, the, the phone line was scorching. We got a record number of email last <laughs> week. The, the, the Twitterverse was ablaze. Uh, our Facebook Live production was on fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, if they start 0-3, uh, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, because Winnipeg's a pretty darn good football team. Yep. They've won 10 straight at home. Uh, it, it, we, might, uh, we might be a little closer to pushing the panic button if a big fat L is on the score sheet tomorrow night, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Rick, great talking to you. Uh, and enjoy the Memorial Cup in a few minutes and uh, tomorrow night's game as well and then the, uh, the fifth quarter afterwards. Great talking to you again. You got it, and great job filling in for Scott today. Thanks very much. So, uh, by the way, very quick thanks to Ben Strawn, and Will, uh, maybe she should flip it around because I talked to Will first on email. So Will Erskine and Ben Strawn, it doesn't matter. Guys, thank you. A sensational job. It was so good seeing everybody today uh, back here in the hallways of 900 CHML. Nice to know that my pass card still works. I can still get in the building, which is important. The question becomes, when I exit the building, will they indeed lock the door? Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.